How powerful is Cox Internet? So powerful that one day, your daughter will be able to simulate a soccer match against some of the world's best players right from your backyard. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Internet delivered through Cox's hybrid fiber coax network. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions apply. Bumble and Bumble Seaweed's invigorating shower ritual feels like an escape. Start with nutrient-infused shampoo and conditioner. The formula infused with royal sugar kelp, green microalgae, and Pacific sea kelp helps keep your scalp hydrated. Then open your jar of seaweed whipped scalp scrub to add two times more shine to your hair instantly. And before you head out, use seaweed air dry cream to give your hair that effortless beach look. Make your shower feel like an oasis with the Bumble and Bumble Seaweed Collection. Dive in now at bumbleandbumble.com. Can we be haunted by history itself? Can a story from the past be so powerful and so frightening it will not lie silent? And we cannot rest easily until this past is exhumed, explored, and exposed. Today, we discuss two stories from the history of Richmond, Virginia, told by author and Richmond resident Catherine Badmagira. Kat recently wrote a book exploring the tragic life of Edgar Allan Poe. Now she researches a dark secret from Richmond's past that will reinvigorate your fears of being buried alive. Grab a cask of Amontillado and settle in for some stories. Today, on Homespun Hates. Hello, Hainted Loves. Welcome to Homespun Hates. I'm Becky. And I'm Diana. And today on the show, we're going to do something a little bit different. Different? Well, what we have today are not ghost stories per se, but they are stories that would appeal to people who love ghost stories, because we are going to be talking to Catherine Babmagira, who wrote this really awesome self-help book called Poe for Your Problems. <laughs> and it's all about how to structure your life the way Edgar Allan Poe structured his. <laughs> it's very different from any other self-help book out there. Right? <laughs> he is sort of the OG gothic lit guy. He led this pained life. And he managed to do everything wrong. And yet now he's so famous. There are so many things referencing him. And I don't need to say anymore. Nevermore. I shall say nevermore. <laughs> so in a few minutes, we're going to bring on Kat and we're going to have links to her book on our website. Everybody should check this out. It will give you a completely different perspective on your own life. And you may realize that even though you don't do anything, quote unquote, correctly, you're actually doing it right. We're really excited to bring her on. I think you guys will find it very inspirational being the dark, dark souls that you are. And 
Is there something particular in your life that you have changed since reading this book, Becky? Yes. I'm trying to operate with more hubris. More hubris. Mm -hmm. There we go. If you're not here to adore me, go away. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is one of the tips. Yes, just tell bald-faced lies that nobody could possibly back (laughs) you up on. All of these self-help books are all about, oh, have humility and be grateful. And this book is like, no, wear that chip on your shoulder with pride and let everybody know how good you are. There you go. Actually... That is kind of the way you get to be a CEO, if that's your goal. Ooh. You so know. what experiences have you had since you've been embracing the chip on your shoulder? Mm-hmm. I'm not taking as much bullshit. That's for sure. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yep. And operating with more hubris. That also kind of comes along there. Not taking as much bullshit. So yeah, y'all check this book out. And of course, I love it because it's part self-help. It's also part biography of Poe himself. And Poe has always been one of my favorites. Oh, right. Yeah. From a young age, I just fell in love with his dark and brooding nature and unusual rhythmics. And even when I was in fifth grade, we had to get up. Those of us that were like top of our class or whatever had to get up and say who some of our heroes were. <laughs> to inspire the fifth graders who weren't doing so good. <laughs> nerd. And I got up there and said (laughs) my hero was Edgar Allan Poe. That's okay. Same age. When I was 11, I stood up and and did a lecture about why Emily Dickinson was one of my heroes. So I feel you. I feel (laughs) you. Strange, dark little 11-year-old poets. Right. You and I were both dark, brooding children, Diana. We were. We We kind of still are. We, yeah, though children yeah. doesn't really apply to us. It never did. <laughs> <laughs> Diana, what would you say was the darkest, weirdest thing you did as a child that really made everybody step back and go, okay, this one's different? Well, when I was two, I told my mom I wished I'd never been born. Is that dark enough? That's pretty terrible. Literally everything I did as a child was dark and brooding. Everything. Like everything. I was dark and brooding. That's what I was. There wasn't like moments of joy and happiness and frolicking and sunshine. It was just dark and brooding. That's it. When I was three, I got in trouble because I would, instead of playing with other kids, I would climb to the top of the monkey bars and stare up at the sky. Why would you get in trouble for that? They'd help me down because they thought I couldn't get down. And I'd say thank you. And then they'd turn around. I'd be back up at the top of the monkey bar staring at the sky. Oh, you're like a cat. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Call the fire department. Get her out of the tree. Becky, what was your story about being a little Wednesday, a little Poe? I was in about, I think it was fourth or fifth grade, and I was playing by myself Mm -hmm. (laughs) by the side of the fence. As one does. Yes, as the introverted goth kids do. And a yellow jacket landed on my arm. Ooh. And I thought, oh, Oh, that's cool. And then another one did. They looked like yellow jackets. They may have been bees, but the way I'm remembering them, they looked like yellow jackets. And I must have been near a hive or something, but I just stayed very still because I've heard, I thought they were bees at the time. (laughs) I've been told, like, don't scare them. They won't get angry with you. And more landed on my arm. And I'm just staring at them like, oh, hi, guys. How are you? And I started naming them. And it got to a point where I had about a dozen. Ooh. And I'm just like, hi. And then these kids come running up behind me like, Becky, what are you doing? And I was like, look, 
And I'm like, what? They're friendly. Literally standing there just covered in wasps. And the kids are just screaming. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? Bugs are our friends. Now I see where your son gets it. So I don't know if that counts as dark or not. (laughs) All the fear on all those kids' faces. And that I was the master of the wasps. (laughs) I thought, I can use this. (laughs) Yep. Next time anybody bothered me, I was like, do you want to come play with my friends? The yellow and black striped ones. (laughs) Oh, Wednesday. That's phenomenal. (laughs) Well, it sounds like you could have used some life advice based on Edgar Allan Poe's life. Oh my gosh, I wish I had this book as a kid. Imagine if somebody told you that it's okay to want to sit in a corner and brood and write weird poetry and think that you're the best thing in the world. Becky, nobody had to tell me that. I already knew it was okay. (laughs) So this is a great book. I'm so glad it's written. And I hope you all enjoyed listening to Kat talk about her inspiration for this book. And like Poe, things are about to get dark. (laughs) Before we bring on Kat, however, we have a new patron to give a shout out to. Hey! We want to give a really special shout out to Andrea, who joined just a few days ago. Andrea, thank you so much for being a part of our Patreon. Andrea, welcome. Hope you are enjoying all of our commercial-free content and extra bonus episodes. What's really dark and scary is if you're not a member of our patron, you'll be listening to this commercial forevermore. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Are you tired of websites that have been Frankenstein together? Oh, my website is so slow and creaky. Every time I use the search bar, it just returns Abby Normal over and over again. Becky's sister company, The Concept Spot, holds the secret to life itself and can create new life from nothing. In fact, we've been giving life to highly functional websites for the last 25 years using premium parts we swear we didn't salvage from graveyards. Ooh, check out that head image. Instead of going my new website purrs. Need a blog? The Concept Spot can do that. Want an online store? We can do that too. We build our sites from the cellular level. No reused templates or discarded body parts here, so we can make your site do whatever you want and look however you want. (gasps) It's gorgeous! I can't even see the stitches. We can also resurrect your dead website if rigor mortis has set in. Oh, it's like a new man. If you think homespun haints is frighteningly genius, you should see our websites. Let your favorite ghoulish gals, Becky and Diana, build you a monstrous website that will wreak havoc on the internet for years to come. Visit theconceptspot.com for more information. It's live! It's live! Deep in the bowels of Oklahoma, 
exists a passageway that has remained locked for decades, untouched by mortals. We don't know why it was sealed nearly a century ago, but we are thirsting to find out. So thirsty. Do you have the same insatiable curiosity as us to see what lies beyond his threshold? On September 24th, 2023. We will unveil the shadows together via live stream as we open this sealed passageway, slaking our thirst for arcane knowledge. And we want you to be there with us. Virtually, of course. This may be dangerous. We don't have liability insurance. Oh my eye! But what will we find? Is this passageway a sealed tomb? A hideaway for treasure? A portal into another dimension? Maybe it's alien. Even we won't know until September 24th, and you can be there to discover the secrets with us. I'm not scared. Visit homespunhaints.com slash basement to RSVP for this event and find out how you can participate in this interactive adventure with us. As long as there's darkness to explore, we shall remain its loyal devotees. RSVP now and immerse yourself in the abyss of the unknown that is Diana's Basement. <laughs> Visit homespunhaints.com basement. Today on the show, we are excited to bring on Catherine Babmagira. She is the author of this amazing book called Poe for Your Problems, Uncommon Advice from History's Least Likely Self-Help Guru. And it is exactly as it sounds. It is part biography, part self-help, all goth. It is an amazing book, and I have just had so much fun reading it. It was actually a birthday present my mother got me. Kat, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us about your life, your book, what inspired you to write this, all of the things. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you guys for having me on. So let's get down to the basics. What inspired you to write a book? What made you say, Edgar Allan Poe, yes. <laughs> I want to live a life like that. This was a hard sell. You would say, I want to write a self-help book based on Poe's life and work. And people are like, huh? But that's exactly the point. Anyways, I grew up mostly in Richmond, Virginia, which is also Poe's hometown. He spent his teenage years here. Boston, Baltimore, Philly, they all have claims to him too. But I always say the reason he belongs to Richmond is because he spent his high school years here. And that becomes your psychic prison. Mm -hmm. And it's mine too. So we always had that in common. And I encountered him really young in school. I can remember my teacher in fourth grade reading The Raven and having us put our heads down on our desks like this so that we could really listen. And that being a little bit of a landmark experience for me, just realizing how powerful art can be. And then I grew up and I moved away from Richmond. I spent many years away, but it's a black hole that sucks you back in. So you can't really escape. Anyway, I found myself after I did an English degree and then a master's. And I never really encountered Poe again because while there are Poe scholars, there are plenty of them. The academy doesn't necessarily love him. A lot of professor types regard him as like low culture and tacky and not a real writer, which I love. It makes me like him more. Mm -hmm. So... I had not really read him since I was a little kid when it was 2016 and 
there were depressing events going on in the world and also in my life. And I'd had depressive episodes before, but this one was the worst one I have ever experienced. I had to take mental health leave from work. I couldn't eat or sleep. Like I really could not function at the time. And I had this weird sensation of wanting to read Poe again for the first time in 20, 30 years. I had the complete tales of mystery and imagination on my shelf. It was the same copy that like the faux leather bound copy from my childhood. And I opened it up and started reading. And I think that the story I came back to was the first line is I was sick, sick unto death with that long agony is the pit in the pendulum. And I just started bawling in my bathtub and this kind of kicked off like a month of crying in my bathtub and reading Poe, which was in a weird way healing because you realize when you come back to these stories as an adult, you're like, oh, I realize that at the same time he's talking about the Spanish Inquisition, he's talking about mental torture and what it is like to have to live through this extreme state or to try and stay alive through an experience like this. So I just went down a complete rabbit hole with him and I started reading the biographies and A, Poe is so much funnier than he ever got credit for. Like his letters are sometimes hilarious. He's lying to his friends and being like, everything's going great when it's not. And he's just absolutely bitching about his bosses and complaining about his horrible jobs. It's so relatable. And then also when you get into the biographies, you realize just how profoundly sad and disappointing his life was. Most of the people he loved died. His wife whom he loved very, very much, died of the same disease that had claimed his biological parents. He was orphaned at age three. Then his foster mother dies. One by one, everyone he loves leaves his life. And that's just the amount of infectious disease in the 19th century. But also for him, it's one hit after another. And often I think these traumas were deepening the ones that came before when they repeated. Oh, yeah. And the fact that he experienced all that And yet he created this body of work that is now so famous and influential and well-known and beautiful and still read 200 years after it was composed. The idea that you could use these experiences to make your art better was really inspiring for me at that place. So I'm having this experience of being cheered up by Poe and my friend Alan, who's a historian, we're out having a beer in Richmond one night. I was like, it's the weirdest thing. Poe is cheering me up. And he said, that sounds like a book. And I joked at the time, I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna write a book about reading Poe for self-help and call it How to Say Nevermore to Your Problems. And I wrote it down (laughs) on a cocktail napkin. It was just a dark joke. And then I started working on it for real. And it was a long, hard sell with publishers because you get this kind of hmm uh, from them. I was really happy to see it come out finally. It's been a really interesting experience. And I hear from people who read it and have like the same kind of intuitive relationship with Poe, where he's kind of a heroic figure to them. Mm -hmm. Just the sheer amount of people that have Poe tattoos is fascinating. He's a really important influence, I think, in a lot of people's lives. Well, I think that you touch on something that even though the book is very witty, and you have these little pull quotes and things throughout. You have the tips like don't have kids and things like that throughout, <laughs> which it's it's hilarious. But you're right. It is very inspiring that he had so many things that life just kept throwing these horrors at him. And he turned it around. And like you said, seemed to even have a little bit of a sense of humor about what he was going through, which I think gets overlooked a lot when we study him. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned that he kind of has this lowbrow reputation in academia. Right. He must be bad if people love him. 
right. (laughs) (laughs) It's not hard. It's not hard to enjoy. Do you think that's a universal thing in creatives, natural artists is using that darkness and pain for creation? Or is that just a a uniquely goth thing? Or is that kind of everyone? Man, it's a big question. I'm not sure that there's just one answer to that. I mean, I think with Poe, and with a lot of writers who like Poe have had horrible bouts of mental health problems like Sylvia Plath. Is it in spite of the suffering? Is it because of it? It's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, I think. I shouldn't gloss over how difficult this period of my life was. It felt like such a literal haunting grief and failure and depression. That was when the idea came to me. It wasn't when Mm -hmm. I was capable of doing the work of this. So I don't know. It might depend on the artist. What do you guys think? I think you're onto something. You can't really produce quality art that people can relate to unless you use all the emotions in it. If you're just happy, happy, go lucky all the time, silver spoon kind of life, how are you going to produce something that everybody believes and resonates with? Take the darkness and make it beautiful. Take the Mm. depression and turn it into art to be inspired by the sadness. I think that's what all good creatives do. We'll take every emotion and fill their basket with it and just use whatever is necessary to get through and get deeper into the emotions that most people run away from. I think that's definitely true. I think you're absolutely right. But just having been in the art world, I think there is this sort of misconception that if you're not tortured, you can't do good art. You know, and unfortunately, that ends up with people going down some self-harm paths to try and create that self-torture. And I think you can you can draw it from others. You can draw it from other experiences. Robert Smith wrote a lot of his lyrics based off of other people's poems and other people's experiences. So I think it's important to know that even though you're drawing on all those emotions, if you don't have those, you don't go through it yourself, at least if you can empathize with somebody who has, you can still hmm. produce. I think that's an important point about the empathy too, because if you think about it like Tons of people suffer horribly without ever mm-hmm. writing a good poem. Right. That is horrifying. <laughs> I wish A led to B in a very concrete and direct way every single time. I would have produced a lot more work <laughs> by this point if it were the case. Yeah, I do think you learn something mm-hmm. and it opens you up in a kind of horrible way and makes you more human and more receptive to emanations from beyond. And I, I really seriously believe that. Yeah. So maybe it's more just being able to express, talk about be within those emotions and just sit with them and recognize them as opposed to pushing within them and and using them to have an experience in life. Totally agree. I mean, the way it's not that there is a way out, but the way out is through. And you're just continually going through. There's nothing that can just eliminate those emotions. So going through them is the only option besides just getting stuck, I think. Poe said that too. He said, to be happy at any one point, we have to have suffered. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah, because otherwise you, you don't know what it feels like if you haven't felt the opposite. Mm. Mm. So tell us some of the key things that you want people to take away from the book to help yourself. I love what you talk about with the hubris, the sort of fake it till you make it and make up lies. And it is so inspiring. And I love how it's so different from most self-help books that are like, have gratitude and bloom where you're planted and all that. And you're like, no, make a list of your grievances. And (laughs) And dwell on them, obsess about them. I've read plenty of self-help in my day. This book is a satire of real traditional self-help. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, pin a smile on your face, be kind, do things the right way. I'm trying to turn all those things on its head because I genuinely think it's true that Poe did everything the wrong way and that is key to his success. 
the fact that he pissed off so many people because he essentially trolled them. And then after his death, they maligned him horribly in his obituaries. That helped make his name. So I think that it's genuinely true that we can triumph not in spite of our shortcomings, but because of them. The degree to which you're gossip about or thought badly of, that can really work for you. Bad PR is a hell of a lot better than good PR, a hell of a lot more effective. Plus, I also think it's true that Poe was a genius, but he also had a gigantic ego from the word go. And how would somebody have stuck to making their art through everything he went through if he didn't have that almost like narcissistic self-confidence? I think you can make your megalomania work for you. And that instead of trying to change <laughs> these things about ourselves, it's a lot easier and funnier and kinder to admit them and be our messy, weird selves instead of striving for like some Tony Robbins energy of a giant. I'd rather just all of us admit to the fact that, you know, we spend huge swaths of our lives depressed and anxious and unable to get out of bed and rewatching Game of Thrones. Uh, <laughs> that's what I think that the path through is honesty and leaning into our darker impulses. And in the book, like the very first uber po tip is that rather than looking for examples of perfect living, we should look to people like Poe, these darker heroes who can give us radical ideas that might actually change our lives and can make us feel less bad about ourselves because it's not necessarily productive to sit around with like a real shitty level of self-esteem. It's better to try and find your way through these things with a darker hero, I think. You said this book kind of is a satire of self-help, but at the same time, it is self-help. It's very inspiring. And I think that everything that you just said comes through. When I was reading it, I was like, oh, it's okay to be proud of what I'm up to. And <laughs> I kind of like dwelling on my morose thoughts. <laughs> right. I think like another friend mentioned to me the other day, she's like, I liked the one about how you're not supposed to get over your own bullshit, but to try and deepen it and spread it out more. I genuinely think it's also a good policy. Because if we knew what we were getting into when we set out to make art or even just to live through a terrible experience, like if we knew what we were really getting in into, we wouldn't go through it. So it's good to have a really unrealistic sense of your own talent and capacities right at the beginning, because otherwise, how are you going to get through? I love it. So you mentioned Poe as one of these people that we can look to. Can you think of other examples of historical figures whose lives were similar streak, did everything wrong, still were successful? I like other neurotic, screwed up heroes. I think of like Marilyn Monroe and Warren Zevin and Tons of musicians, tons of poets. I think you could just keep naming artists all day long. Tom Petty, even to an extent, a ton of musicians. Brian Wilson. Yeah. You, you wouldn't think that that was the best way to live, but look at the art. If pop has ever been better than that, it's news to me. So basically anybody in the 27 Club. I used to live by the hotel where Janis Joplin died and walked by it every day. And I thought... I'm not glad for her suffering at all. It was terrible what happened to her and what she went through. But also it's like a kind of touchstone in my day. It was really useful to contemplate like that things can end way earlier than you think and to produce your work before time, hopefully. So do you have more books on the way? I'm working on a new one now. It's going slowly. The year I was writing this book, like I was on deadline and I was also having a real difficult pregnancy. And even like when I was hospitalized, I kept working through this thing. And I thought that that was the hard part of like producing the work under those conditions, like deadline, full-time job, sometimes in medical extremists somehow. 
Uh, no, it's actually the toddler phase. The yes. reason I have not produced another one yet is totally because I have a wonderful, wonderful child that I definitely chose, but I don't know. I see some writers like churning out a book a year and I'm like, well, who's the primary caregiver? <laughs> like, So it's going a lot slower than I would have liked, but it's coming along. So you did not take Poe's advice on not having children lest they become a reincarnation of a dead lover. At some point, it's too late, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, it was a very Poe-like experience, though, because like it was 2020, plague year, and uh-huh. this person is trying to gain life through me by destroying my body, <laughs> coming from the inside. So it was very Poe-like. Definitely. As a mother of a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old, it gets so much easier. And then not having kids, also a great suggestion. Yeah, I can see it. I see the wisdom. I really, really do. <laughs> Whichever way you choose to go, it's all good. You've got a section here on inviting endless catastrophe into your life. And he talked about how making art is a path to destruction. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on that and what that means? I think Poe said something along these lines that he gave only sarcastic writing advice. And he said, anyone can become immortal by being a writer. All you have to do is lay your heart bare. And that's an impossible task. And this is kind of a weirdly Riddle-like or Cohen-like bit of advice that he put out there. But as I interpret it, I think... The problems of being an artist are just, that's what it is to be an artist, to be struggling, to try and complete your work. And if the ideal is something perfect and you're trying to bring it out of the ether, that is itself an invitation to destruction. You cannot reach this goal. You can't complete it as close as you may get that you're probably still disappointed by it, which sounds like it's doomed, but it's not. I mean, it's still enormously productive and a good use of our time and our talent. So even though it cannot end well, I think we should dive in. And I think that's what Poe is saying too. And there's no advice that he would give that wouldn't be like really kind of dark and perverse. But that itself I think can be refreshing because a lot of, you have so much like home goods, live, laugh, love oh, God. advice about making art these days that it's all about being brave and courageous and like, oh God, no, the real experience of these things is terrible. It's so yeah. terrible, but you do it anyway. I remember in grad school, one of my professors telling me that I would know I was really onto something when I obsessed about something to the point where I couldn't sleep and I wasn't eating. And I got to that point. She's like, oh, good. Now you're obsessed. <laughs> Now you'll make art. (laughs) I mean, it's true. Like when you have an idea and you feel like it's somehow like you're about to get hit by a bus, that's the moment when you know something's working. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I remember one morning I was getting up to go to class and I just vomited all over the floor. And my husband was like, or his boyfriend at the time, he's like, what are you? And I was like, no, this is good. This is good. (laughs) I got to go in. (laughs) You're a real artist. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not going to get there by having your perfectly organized Michael's cart set up with all your spools of thread. Right, and your luxury hand soap and <laughs> your little yeah. basket of shell-shaped shelves. <laughs> well, the reality right. of these things really is like, it's so horrifying. Like, it is the experience of crying too hard to get out of the bathtub. I think that's when mm-hmm. you're really hitting a nerve in a good way. And also, it is kind of like an act of birth. You're birthing this thing from your body. And as we all know, that's 
not fun. It's more like alien. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have this parasite growing inside of you, sucking your life force. Oh, yeah. And the only way it's going to come out is through pain and blood and screaming. That's how you get novels and poems. <laughs> Good yeah. Point. But unfortunately, with a novel or a work of art, you just put it out in the world after that. If you do that with your kid, you get arrested. So you kind of have to <laughs> keep it that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You mentioned before we got on that you actually live over bodies. There's some dark, macabre history to the place where you live. So I live in a suburb of Richmond called Midlothian. Clay McLeod Chapman's book, Ghost Eaters, is set in Richmond with part of it taking place in my neighborhood. And it's utterly fantastic, so I can't recommend it enough. But anyway, my husband and I were searching for more space once we had a kid and COVID and all the rest of it. So we moved into this suburb that I did not look into that much before we got here. I knew it was named after a plantation, and I didn't know much more about it than that. And then I started going down a rabbit hole with some of the historical markers and a historic church that's less than a mile from my house, like as the crow flies. This area of Virginia was the epicenter of the earliest coal mining that was ever done in the U.S. It is the coal that forged the weapons for the Civil War, among many other things, sending the energy to Richmond to do the manufacturing. Well, guess who did the labor at these coal mines? Kids. Those two, right? Mostly enslaved people. Slave labor. And the conditions were horrific, like you would guess. And these plantations in Midlothian, this neighborhood itself, a lot of them were coal mining operations and they weren't even farms. It was using masses of people to dig the coal out of the ground in these horrific conditions. And things were operated in such an unsafe way that the cavens were regular. Within a mile of my house is a church that was founded by an enslaved community and they were coal miners. And it was to commemorate the fact that in multiple explosions over a period of years, you'd have dozens and dozens of people dying and they didn't even pull the bodies out of the ground. They just covered it up and started a new shaft. And there are accounts, as I've started reading more and more of this history, there are accounts of a cave-in happening and people being able to hear the moaning and screaming for up to 24 hours after it went down. Oh my God. So I went down this, like reading old newspapers covering it at the time and you have sons whose fathers died the same way and then the son dies that way. And the newspapers at the time only reported the deaths of the white people who happened to be in the mine at that time. They didn't often even keep track. And there were enslaved people who lived in the mine full time because they worked with the donkeys. So they literally were never allowed. So this is so, so horrifying. It's such a literal haunting. And the fact that these things happen here and you just have a big planned community with a golf course and a country club now. Like, it's totally covered up. Nobody talks about it. There's not a single school name for any of these people. You're just like, how, how dark? It's just so literally horrifying to think that there are the amazing amount of like cruelty and brutality that took place and the fact that people's bodies weren't even recovered. So, yeah, yeah, real, real, real dark. How does that carry over into the energy of being there, living there? It's weird. It's almost to me like you all know everything that's going on politically in Virginia with history textbooks and so on. There's a super literal cover up. We're not imagining it or exaggerating it. They're literally trying to act like it didn't happen and people trying to ignore this history, which is bizarre and sad. I think there's probably something to be said about how planned communities resemble 
other structures that existed in the past, but I, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's yep. probably about, a little bit of above my pay grade. I'm not a trained historian. Sounds like you know quite a bit about it. <laughs> Just a nerd. But there's a section in Ghost Eaters about this neighborhood. So people, if they want to learn more, they can read it. And it's just an amazing horror novel. So is your house actually on top of this? Yes. You have to dig up old mining maps to find where the shafts were. There's a park near my house that's maybe about a mile away that is lakes that are filled in old mine shafts. And they have some of the structures still there. And then there's a major intersection not far from my house where they just had the road caved in because apparently it was built over an old shaft and nobody knew that. The Virginia Department of Transportation is still like putting out fires that start in the old shafts in this part of town because there's so much coal debris lying around on the ground, even after all this time, that oh. it'll just catch fire and they'll put it out and they'll have to come back six months later and pull it out again. And oh, wow. Nobody knows this either. Like I have become seized by this secret or hidden history, I think. Mm -hmm. Oh, please tell me you're writing a book about it. I totally am. Yeah, that's what's up. <laughs> I can't wait to read that. See, this is what happens when you cover up history. Yeah, end up building a house on a mine shaft that explodes and collapses and catches fire. Like, yeah. just, oh my God, that is so terrifying. There's nothing worse to me than being underground. That's kind of like, too, like the idea of premature burial. It was like a literal reality in his day, too. These things aren't even metaphors. Isn't that strange? Yeah. We hear stories of hauntings because of bodies being under people's homes in modern times and under the children's playgrounds and schools and such like that. Is that kind of situation going to lead to more paranormal activity, ghost activity? Or is it more where people just live their lives rather than where people are entombed? I think it's kind of like Faulkner said, the past isn't even past. In an extremely literal way, we keep reliving these things because we don't deal with them. It's the idea that the entire culture is a ghost with unfinished business. You know what I mean? I also think that there's also a dimension of it that's totally not literal at all, that's like taking place on a spiritual or metaphysical level, where I don't think things that bad just disappear or can. I think that there's something that lingers in the sense of an energy or... I don't really know how much like language I have for these things, but I think you can sense them and it kind of takes place in a way that's maybe beyond our conscious apprehension. But I don't think it's a coincidence that sometimes you move to a place and you start to get drawn into these histories. Mm -hmm. This sounds so woo and like, is there a voice calling to us from the past? I don't know. I kind of had that experience with Poe and I feel like I'm kind of getting on it again in a way that maybe we wouldn't choose, but is like somehow to do with why we're here. That makes a lot of sense. I'm so glad that you are delving into this story and are going to be writing the story and giving information most people are not going to be aware of otherwise. It's, I, I mean, you could say the history of the coal mining industry in the U.S. and like people are already asleep. No, it's terrifying. I grew up in East Tennessee. It's still a very, very real thing there. Getting black lung and then oh, yeah. the opioid problems and everything. A lot of it starting out from people being in the mines and having accidents or inhaling the dust. And it's very, very close to my heart. As part of my research process, I've been Googling the news stories because people, especially in West Virginia, but in Virginia too, people who are pretty desperate are going down into these old shut down mines to try and harvest some copper or find something like scrap metal that you could sell and getting stuck there. So if you Google being stuck in a mine 2020, you'll find these stories of people who often get stuck down there for days at a time in the darkness. Where I like, I cannot imagine anything worse. Like it makes my stomach start to turn over on itself just thinking about it. 
I am very excited for your next book, Kat. I know that you are going to make it interesting and fascinating read because you have such an amazing writing style. Very much enjoyed reading Poe for your problems. And I understand you also have a newsletter that people can check that out. Tell us how we can get on that. Yeah, it's on Substack. It's free. I'm never going to charge for it. It's called Poe Can Save Your Life. And it's dark self-help or gothic self-help for writers, creators, artists, and anybody who's depressed. So uh, Uh that's a wide swath of the population. Sometimes it's about making art. Sometimes it's about just surviving or the upside of humiliation or something like that. But if you like (laughs) dark things and funny things, I hope you will like it. Thank you so much for being so open with everything, Kat. Happy to. It's nice to have open conversations about these things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so glad that we're finally culturally getting to a point where we can talk honestly about mental health. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate the fact that you shared the journey that you were on that did inspire you to write this book and the darkness that you went through that was able to produce a wonderful work of art. Thank you so much for that. Again, your book is called Poe for Your Problems, Uncommon Advice from History's Least Likely Self-Help Guru. And your full name is Catherine Bab Magira. And we're going to include a spelling for that in our show notes. (laughs) (laughs) It's published by Running Press, but it is available anywhere you get books. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, a lot of independent booksellers carry it as well. The copy I have is in hardback. Is it still just available in hardback? It's in hardback. And this is the only Poe title you're going to find in the humor section. So it tends to be easy to find that way. (laughs) Unfortunately and unfairly, (laughs) like you said, Poe is funnier than given credit for. It's an excellent book. And despite the, or in spite of, I guess, the, the humor that you have throughout the book, it actually is some fabulous advice. And if you are feeling low, this is a great book to pick up because it will help you see the humor and also the gifts that you have through the things that you're working through. So Mm. grab this book, put on Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. (laughs) And you're going to have a great day. (laughs) Kat, do you have any Facebook pages that you want people to follow? You can find me on Facebook under my name. And then I'm on Twitter under Kat Badmigera. I have Instagram that's not very entertaining, but I'd like to meet people there too, so feel free. (laughs) We're going to have links to all of that on our show notes at homespunhaints.com. And we are also on Instagram at homespunhaints. Most of our Instagram posts are just AI art of weird cats doing things, but we have a good time with it. (laughs) And we also have audiograms from our episodes. Painted Loves, what do you think? Is your art in spite of or because of the darkness you've suffered. What are we doing with our lives? Is your art too tacky for academia? Let us know and have a spooky day. (laughs) We all hope so. (laughs) Homespun Haints is hosted by Becky Kielimnik and Diana Doty and produced by Homespun Haints Media LLC. Editing and music by Becky Kielimnik. Show notes by Diana Doty. If you have a ghost story and you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, please visit our website at homespunhaints.com slash submit.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Deep in the bowels of Oklahoma exists a passageway that has remained locked for decades, untouched by mortals. We don't know why it was sealed nearly a century ago, but we are thirsting to find out. So thirsty. Do you have the same insatiable curiosity as us to see what lies beyond its threshold? On September 24th. 2023. We will unveil the shadows together via live stream as we open this sealed passageway, slaking our thirst for arcane knowledge. And we want you to be there with us. Virtually, of course. This may be dangerous. We don't have liability insurance. Oh my eye! But what will we find? Is this passageway a sealed tomb? A hideaway for treasure? A portal into another dimension? Maybe it's alien. Even we won't know until September 24th, and you can be there to discover the secrets with us. I'm not scared. Visit homespunhaints.com slash basement to RSVP for this event and find out how you can participate in this interactive adventure with us. As long as there's darkness to explore, we shall remain its loyal devotees. RSVP now and immerse yourself in the abyss of the unknown that is Diana's basement. <laughs> Visit homespunhates.com slash basement.